Hey, Linda and Drew Scott here. Welcome to At Home. Finally, a show where I don't have to wear a tie, a tool belt, or even pants. For all you know, we could be recording this from the toilet. For the past decade on Property Brothers, hundreds of families have invited us on their journey to create their dream homes. And with every family we met, we learned a little more about what really makes a house a home. Now we want to invite you to come along on our journey. To live in a treehouse. RV. A farm. Whatever it is, we have a lot to learn. That's where we bring in our lovely guests. They'll share their experiences on everything from building healthy relationships to growing baby carrots. I've always wondered about those. And speaking of babies, we want to be sure that we're playing our part in making the planet better for our future kids. We know that the changes we all want to see in the world start at home. I've always wanted to live in a treehouse. Doesn't everyone? This is At at home. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to At Home with Linda and Drew Scott. We are... That's us. We are holding hands <laughs> right now because this is... Uh, well, he's holding my index finger. I have sweaty hands right now. Usually it's the other way because... What, you have sweaty hands or no, I'm holding your finger? No, because your hands are so tiny, it feels like I'm just holding like... <laughs> I don't know where I'm going a with splinter? this. A splinter? A splinter. I was trying to get romantic and hold her hand while we were talking, but she's you hiding her sweaty... You can hold my sweaty hands yeah, if you really want. Okay. No, I'm good. Turn, I back think it's because I'm hungry. Do you yes. get sweaty hands when you're... No, maybe it's just warm in here. No. I, My pits are sweaty. Yeah, I think it's probably because right now you have your hands in your pits Oof. and she just smelled her pits. Is it's it the, this shirt. Is it the pits? Well, it's the pits and my hands. <laughs> Wait, your shirt is is no. cr- creating body odor? Maybe. Because like cert, I notice when I wear certain shirts, I... Sweat stink more. and sweat more. Like this shirt, I always sweat in. It looks like a very thin in. shirt. It's thin. Well, it's like double layer. It's a black t-shirt. I anyway. think I think it's because you're nervous because you absolutely love our guests this week and you just were so excited about the conversation. That's true too. I do get nervous when I speak to any of our guests. This week, we're chatting with Rain Wilson and Holiday Reinhorn. Holiday is a published author, an amazing fiction writer, Rain, you guys know from The Office, Dwight Schrute, a lot of other amazing roles he's played. He actually has a new series, Utopia, on Amazon Prime, if you guys haven't checked it out. And uh, it was really fun sitting down and chatting with two creative minds that work together. Does that remind you of anyone? Yeah, it reminds me of... Us, I'm talking about us. Oh. Two creative people who work together. Oh, I was I was going to say um, Bert and Ernie. Is this because you don't consider me creative? No, <laughs> I think you're very creative. Sometimes I, I don't think you give yourself enough credit. Like you always call me the creative one and then it makes me think like, oh shoot, now I have to live up to true thinking I'm super creative. Um, but anyway, this is not about us. It's about Rain and Holiday and why we love them because they are not only super creative, but they they are just so loving. And I just find it so cool when you meet someone who you can tell like they have such a warm heart and then you meet their spouse or significant other or whatever and they both are like that. Yeah, and then together- And it's just so cool. And it's like, the universe is all right. <laughs> it, you know, it, it feels better when you're you're talking with people like, like Rain and Holly and together they create so much positivity. I mean, we talk about their foundation that they started, how they're inspiring and educating young girls in Haiti. Mm-hmm. It's and, called Lide Haiti Foundation. And it's creating hope with these women, these young women. And and then we talk about climate change and 
everything's an adventure too. There's always a unique way that they go about approaching any of these passions that they have, which is really cool because I think it actually creates more opportunity for growth and awareness for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unique, but at the same time, and Rain will talk about this as well, it's unique, but anyone can do it because mm-hmm. the way they approach it is you know, truly with their hearts. Well, let's follow our hearts into this conversation okay. with Rain and Holly. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. I can feel the love bouncing off these walls Shining through the windows Reflecting like a rainbow That's where we belong Yeah, it feels like home First off, let me just say, I love the fact that we can get all four of us together because we had like a really fun, before COVID and lockdown and then things got um, really isolated, we had a really fun like double date and it was for a good it cause was so as well. Nice. It was nice to, to get out there to, uh, to the zoo and, and also to show our support for all the animals and what was happening with the fires out in Australia. Oh, and, you're talking about that one. Sorry. Oh, wait, what are you talking about? Oh, I, no, we also I was did talking the other. about meeting Derek. That's right. <laughs> I know you came out to the barn and met the, the zebra donkey, and it was amazing. It was. So we need to do more. And we of had this. a brunch. We had two double dates. Yeah, we did. we did. Wait, does that mean that yeah. we're like serious now? Are we exclusive now? Is that? <laughs> I think we're only double dating each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, good to know. Good to know. But I did. You know, that's one thing. Actually, I think we bonded over is our love of animals because. I grew up on a ranch. I mean, I, I had horses around all the time. We had our barn cats. We had our um, our dogs. And, and, and you guys were telling us about a zonkey. And I literally didn't even know. You brought it up. When we were first texting, Rain, you brought it up. Like, I thought you were joking. I thought there was some sort of joke. You're like, ah, yeah, whatever I responded with. And you're like, no, I'm dead serious. I have this zonkey and you need to come see us. And, uh, I actually was, remember that. It was I remember hilarious. that. You were like, yeah, sure, I'll see your zonkey. Uh, oh, I thought you it was know, sexual euphemism. I thought you were making some yes. sort of a penis joke. Yes, yes. And I was like, no, it's literally an animal and it's half of zebra and it's half donkey and it lives with holidays. Horses nearby and let's go party with a zonkey. And the way it smile, like it does that, like you scratch behind his ear and he does this little smiley thing. Oh my gosh, so adorable. Tell us about your menagerie. Of what else do you guys have? Well, yeah. So at home, we have the two pigs. 
We have a 350-pound pig named Snortington, and we have a little smaller, like 200-pounder named Amy. We have two guinea pigs. What are their names, Rain? Uh, we have two guinea pigs. We have Lemon and Shogun, and then we have two pit bull rescues. Uh, we have uh, Diamond and Poe. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Yeah, and there's a lot of Dr. Doolittle in my family. It was, <laughs> is, that, is that what time. inspired you guys? Is it how you were raised? Well, we had a lot of dogs and cats and rescues. Like everywhere my dad would go, he'd go get gas and they would there would be a stray cat like trapped in someone's tow truck engine. That happened one time. Oh my so we had nine cats at one point. Oh wow. When I was young. So there's a lot of like rescues and animals, but I never had horses. That oh. was always kind of a long term term dream. Kind of so a now big pet. I have Yeah. It's big, big pets. Pet. But anytime you see a photo of Holiday um, as a child, it's yeah. always with an animal. Mm-hmm. So it's it's feeding ducks or petting a dog <laughs> or stroking a horse or riding an elephant in Thailand or something like that. Like yeah. it's it's always in, involves animals. So this was always kind of her secret dream. So basically, I left the theater. I went into television and film to make enough money to be able to support her with a menagerie. Yeah. I wanted to know your guys' dynamic. I mean, you ha- you have two creative people living under one roof, same as what we have here, but what were you guys like as kids? What was your dynamic as kids and and how did that push you to be the creative people that you are today? All right, so we yeah. both went to the University of Washington undergrad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in acting class together. Um, she was riding horses at the time and... I don't, I know, there's really nothing sexier than like women's horse riding garb, you know, the, the jodhpur <laughs> and, yeah. and the boots, you know, and I was a little, frankly, titillated um, at 19 and um, that's a word, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, uh, we kind of got along and we were friends and I think we were both seeing other people at the time and then um, we did a scene together from uh Samuel Beckett's uh, Waiting for Godot, which is mm-hmm. kind of absurdist kind of theater mm-hmm. and strange theater. And um, it's two men, so I was playing a man. Uh-huh. She was okay. playing a man's role yeah. in that. And we had coffee a few times, we hung out a few times, and there was definite, you know, a spark there. But, um, and then I went to acting school in New York City and, uh, when I was on a hiatus of doing this kind of Shakespeare tour where I was doing theater, Mm -hmm. Um, I was back in Seattle and I was just literally like, ah, remember that Holly Reinhorn? And this was like 1990 and um, I was 24, she was 25 and I just called her up and I got her answering machine and her answering machine, by the way, speaking of animals, listed all the animals that were living at her house. Oh my so, gosh, that's the best. Her, she was like, Isolde the cat and <laughs> Gupper the rabbit. Sunny and, Bunny, yeah. Yeah, Sunny Bunny. And like, so I was kind of a little in love at that Aww. point already. And yeah. then we went out on our first date in uh, May of 1990. Yeah. Funny enough, those cats were stepping all over the answering machine. So they erased Rain's messages. <gasps> oh, no Calling me, yeah. So he thought I wasn't, didn't want to. It was. But we were two really broke artists. So speaking about kids and creatives, yeah. like, um, I, I, our, the depths of our poverty was pretty, uh, 
is pretty was pretty unreal. I mean, I'm not going to exaggerate. I mean, yeah. I I grew up pretty poor myself. My family was was very poor. I think my dad made like nine thousand dollars a year. Um, and I used to get my clothes from the Salvation Army when I was a kid. And um, uh, we drank powdered milk instead of regular milk because we couldn't afford regular milk. And um, so I'd always been a scrapper, and Holly had as well. And but we, we were just, we were broke. Holly worked, she worked a nine to five job. She was saving yeah. to move to New York City when we first got together. She worked a nine to five job. And then the evenings she worked in a hummus factory, which wasn't really a factory. It was just a woman's kitchen making hummus on the side. Mm. And her refrigerator was just filled with hummus. <laughs> That's all I had was hummus. You, you're so, speaking Linda's language. Love hummus. She would love that. <laughs> oh, love good. It. But there was, and then we're like, so we'd always snack on the hummus and it was always just like, that's not a euphemism. That was like, you know, it was like, (laughs) but hey, do you want the garlic hummus or the red pepper hummus or or whatever? But um, we were both really struggling at our crafts and careers. Holly was an actor and performance artist at the time, kind of writing, doing more experimental theater. I had gone to acting school in New York, um, but really struggled doing theater. I, I never made, you know, more than like, 18 grand in a year from doing theater. Um, just trying to kind of put it in perspective and was living in New York City at the time. Mm. So um, kind of the story of our early years was a story of kind of like trying to pay rent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we did see each other as artists, as creatives. Like we really recognized that in each other and we liked what each other were doing. It's just we got each other. Mm-hmm. Like, and supported each other. Yeah, and we weren't exactly easy to categorize you know, like we're odd. Like we weren't we're the odd. typical yeah. kind that's of. That's what we love about you. We're odd, we're odd yeah. too. <laughs> but so holiday, we're the zonkies. Holiday yeah. moved to New York City about a year, year and a half later. She was pursuing acting, but kind of different than I was. So I was like, had my head shot and was going out on auditions after acting school. And Holly was like working with experimental theaters in downtown New York City. And then she started writing her own stuff that she was performing around town and um, and then that transformed. She fell more and more in love with the uh, writing and less with the acting and performing. And that's when she shifted uh, in the mid-90s to being a fiction writer. And she's a mm. published and well-regarded fiction writer and fiction teacher. And Holly, and it, it was a typewriter at the time, too. I mean, you had early computers. We oh, my had, gosh. Like, what happened to you, But you were it, clacking away on typewriters. This no, is I mean, I, yeah, I bought, I had a manual typewriter. Yeah. Um, that I bought in the East Village off the street. You know, like someone found it, and I paid like two dollars for it. And then I and then I also found a an I, someone had an IBM Selectric, so those old kind of IBMs. And then I was saving my money in a coffee can working at this restaurant to buy the first laptop. This is what yeah. I find very fascinating, though, and and this is maybe following that passion or what you really fall in love with. You know, you're you're saying you were struggling um, to make ends meet as actors and in theater, and then you're like, you know what? Enough of this. I'm moving on to a career where I can really make money, and you become a writer, which is literally harder <laughs> than stupid. acting in theater to make <laughs> yeah. money. But you found a way. You followed your passion, and you found a way. It was found it. Way. What was it about writing that you that you were gravitating towards over acting and, and presenting in theater? Yeah, so I, you know, another part of my journey was that I was a, um, I started out thinking I was going to be an investigative journalist and I was a, like, editor of my high school newspaper, news editor. And um, it ended sort of um, 
sadly, in that I made stuff up because it was just, it's really impossible for me not to embellish. Whenever I write, I start making it up. And the news editor was like, you need to take creative writing class. That's what you need to do, you know? So so writing was always in my, you know, in me. And so I I ended up uh, being also a feminist and in like women's studies. So I kind of was starting to combine that with like rebel you know, one person shows and stuff. So I didn't want to take a traditional path. And, and it was hard for me to imagine myself as a traditional actress, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I started to really like the idea of being able to write because then I could be like God in the universe. I mm-hmm. could create everything and be anyone, you know, because mm-hmm. in my shows, I wanted to play all these characters and I, I just found it hard to do. So it was just um, I, I joined this writing group that was a, a motley crew of, of actors and, and writers, and that's where I just started writing stories and then went to graduate school. Mm. And that, well, like, to be funded to write was really yes. great. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. What do you think it was about your childhoods that, you know, gave you that, just that motivation to continue in following your passions rather than giving it up to, you know, for something else that could make you more money. Maybe it could pay the bills, but not be your passion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is it, it, well, like, it takes a lot to not give yeah. up your, your dream. It does. And we, you know, we stuck with it for a very long time. And uh, we were very determined in our quest to kind of be successful at our crafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, our stories are a little different in that regard. Uh, for me, my family was always very supportive of me being in the arts and being an artist. My father, who passed away last month, uh, was uh, an artist. He really struggled to sell his work. He was a painter. He was uh, a writer. He would do poetry. He, he would do sculpture. Anything he could get his hands on. And he always wanted me to be an artist and supported me in being an artist uh, uh, completely. And he was kind of like, I hate to say it, but like a failed artist. He couldn't make any money at it. And he worked a day job and made a sacrifice to provide for his family. Um, and in so doing, wasn't really able to pursue an artistic career. So in some ways it was really helpful for me because I saw that, oh, if I'm going to do this, I can't go the road my dad did. I can't be working a nine to five job and like do arts a little bit on the side. I have to go all in study, get the best training I can do, go to the center of where that art is and just plunge myself in and uh, and go for it. And he always was supportive, um, even though I was, you know, at poverty's door for, you know, over over a decade. But But then, you know, later in life, I got to buy him a condo and buy some of his paintings. So it all, it all worked out for See, the That best. was his That's plan. Little, he was just wanted to make sure you could buy his paintings in the, in the end. That's what it would all was. Like someday I'll sell some paintings to my son. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Holly's story is a little different. I don't want to speak for you, tell you, tell your own story, but it was a little bit trickier when you didn't have parents that were supportive of an artistic journey. Yeah. As so many artists have, that's a, that's an additional struggle to have to overcome as a young person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, th- I think with them, it was less about not being supportive and more about they had baggage because my mother had really, I secretly wanted to be a writer and she never really talked about it, but she's an amazing writer. And um, she was really pressured out of it by her parents mm-hmm. to be a teacher. And so there was this kind of unmet need in there and a kind of 
she wanted to suppress it. You know what I mean? Mm. So, so she just didn't have a comfortable relationship to it. And the same, um, my father actually became a sculptor at 50. He was a dentist um, oh. in the military when I was a kid. And um, so one thing that I've always just really valued is the fact that we were overseas, you know, in the 70s and um, in parts of the world where Americans weren't there except, you know, in the Vietnam conflict. So I saw a lot of part of the world that I that stayed with me forever. And mm. I think always I was on the outside looking at something mm. and it really brought out that imagination and, you know, looking through a window and seeing, you know, making worlds that are you know, new to me. So do you, do you think that that alone, like all that traveling globally, has that full on changed the way you see the world, changed the way you see some of the conflict that we have between different people within the country or abroad? Does it give you a different outlook on life? It really does. I think it did. I mean, compared to my other siblings um, who were raised in a much more of an Aussie and Harriet, once we got back to the States, they had a much more traditional American suburban experience. So for me, that's when I saw extreme poverty for the mm. first time. In uh, We were in Hong Kong, and we had to take a boat. Um, back it, when Hong Kong was poor. Yeah. Back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. We took a, it was called, they just called them junk, junk ships. Take a junk ship out to this floating, lit up, very you know fancy restaurant where all the military people went for dinner. And so we hired a family to row us out and they were just absolutely poor. They asked for food in addition to the money. And there was a little girl who was exactly my age sleeping on the boat. And it it had a huge impact on me. I've never forgotten it. But I immediately wanted to connect with her. And I, I had that feeling inside of like, if this isn't right, that certain people have enough and certain people will not, have, you know. And mm-hmm. so um, it really definitely affected me that I felt like all people were one family. Yeah. Did, yeah. did you find, you said your dad started sculpting at 50. Yeah. So there was, there was sort of reservations about you trying to um, take a creative path when you were younger. They were shutting you down. And yeah. do, you, do you think that it ended up being you that influenced your dad to come back to a creative side, to go to a creative side after you saw you really finding success in your craft? I think it did. I mean, I really do. Cause, um, I have to say, because as a kid, I really, um, always gravitated toward creative writing and I knew that that would be my life on some level. I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't know yeah. how to put it all together. But it did time out that way. Mm-hmm. But that's right the thing. When- Most creatives don't know how to... You're creative. You're not business-oriented uh, in, in a lot of aspects for people too. So they don't know how to formulate what they want to do. They don't know how to get there and set steps to get there. But you guys found a way. P- playing yeah. off each other a little bit, do you think you support each other when it came to the growth? Well, of- that, that was key. And that's what this, you know, really, uh, you know, your, your theme of your podcast is home. And I think the you know, the home that Holiday and I tried to uh, achieve with each other. And we've had some ups and downs and some rough patches and uh, some conflicts along the way. It hasn't all been smooth, but uh, the is, is that we supported each other in our creative journeys. And uh, both when we were just kind of dating and living together and when we were married and 
and then coming out to LA and, and what have you. And I couldn't have had a career. I wouldn't have succeeded in any way, shape or form without, without her support and inspiration and kind of believing in me in ways that I didn't believe in myself. Mm. So um, that's kind of something that creates a home. I think that creates a home between two people is the, um, you know, the belief in each other and support and, and love and encouragement. Um, and, you know, life is hard enough, and, uh, but encouragement uh, really makes it possible. I want to know a little something on the comedy side. So Rain has this beautiful, dry sense of humor did he use that in the beginning when he was trying to woo you or is that something that, that he's developed over the years or rain? Was that like a, in your childhood days, was that like a defense mechanism to somebody trying to you know pick on you and then you get back with a smart remark? How did, where did that come from? Wow. We're getting, this yeah, is like going, therapy now. We're going deep, mm. but you know that story. The, what story? What Kristen said to you as a little kid. Oh. <laughs> this is perfect. Oh, we're getting the dirt. My step, my stepmom. Uh, was a very wise woman uh, in many ways. She said, um, she, the one prediction she, she made to me was, I mean, I was maybe 11, 12, 13. She's like, the woman you marry is going to be someone who laughs at all your jokes. <laughs> so Holly's an easy audience. I can kind of like put an avocado on my head and take my shirt off and, and do a frog dance and she'll just... <laughs> She'll just laugh and laugh and laugh. So um, I think that that has been something that has bonded us uh, yeah. together. But we both have a pretty dark, dry, acerbic sense of humor. Yeah. And yeah, you know, where does that come from? You know, it's comes from, you know, trauma in the past <laughs> and coping mechanisms. I think it comes from that and, you know, uh, a, a kind of a skewed worldview, you know? I, I don't think it's... Um, I mean, but some of it's genetic, like I have a lot of relatives who have that exact same sense of humor. So some of it must be in my genes. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. <laughs> Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. <laughs> Now, you guys started uh, a charity as well, and it's sort of interesting to hear, Holly, how you were saying when you were young, you saw that little girl that was the same age as you and mm -hmm. and how that really affected you. And then here you are years later, the two of you launch a program in Haiti to give back to young girls. Can you tell us a bit more about that journey to starting that initiative? Yeah, I mean, another part, always part of my um, wanting to be a writer was wanting to teach writing as well. And I do come from like generations of women on my mother's side that were all school teachers and so, um, and frontier school teachers. And like one of my aunts taught literacy in a lumber camp. And it was always to populations that wouldn't have access to education. So it all, it never seemed like I might. The, any of the things that I did were all seemed very disparate, but it all has sort of integrated over the years. So um, 
I knew that um, I always wanted to teach writing and support populations um, who didn't have access to writing, and especially women. Um, so when Rain became Rain got the job on the office, and he was invited to participate in a lot of different foundations and for a lot of initiatives, we got really attracted to a group called the Mona Foundation. That's a grant making org that goes to they support um, uh, literacy programs all over the world in like 25 countries that are mm. created in the country by change agents within the country. Amazing. So uh, we loved that uh, model and we visited Haiti um, and we visited like four of their different schools. And what I saw were all these girls as we drove through the country, girls doing all the work, you know, everywhere you looked, girls were carrying water and chopping wood and, and they were all teenagers. So they were not in school. Um, and I, I started to speak with selling in the markets, doing the child care, you, you name it. Yeah. Haiti is run by, by girls. Yeah. Yeah, Which, so, um, I was speaking to one of the academic directors at a rural school. So we drove four hours in a car out of the capital to this very rural school. And, um, we were talking to all the kids um, about what they did in school. And it was academics, you know, math and, and reading. Of course, it made sense. But I asked, do you do, you do any art? You know, and the director said, well, no, we, we don't. But I'm sure they would love it, which Haiti has this incredible tradition of art mm. and visual art. And um, I so I asked one uh, one of the girls, you know, what do you do? And she was saying, well, she's from a family of 12 and her job is to plant all the food and cook all the food and for 11 adults, do all the washing. Oh. But she really dreams of being a singer. And everyone around started to get really, really excited. And I said, what's going on? And the translator said, well, she's never spoken at school. We, we've never even heard her opinion about anything. Wow. And oh it, a light bulb went off. You know, it, It's just like that art opens up the soul. So Mm -hmm. we started talking about what that would look like to continue working in Haiti. And that's when the earthquake came. Yeah. So two months after we left our visit in Haiti in 2009 was the devastating earthquake of 2010, Mm -hmm. where two to 300,000 people died in a matter of minutes. Um, One of the most brutal disasters that's ever hit planet Earth in one of the poorest countries on planet Earth. And so we knew after that visit and after that that we needed to do something. So Holiday and I uh, volunteered to come with this um, group sponsored by the United Nations that was doing um, uh, arts uh, education for girls living in a tent city. So mm. at the time, Sean Penn, you know, was running this tent city on a dilapidated nine-hole golf course in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, the only golf course in Haiti. And there were 40,000 people living there. So we were there for about 12 days teaching. Holly taught creative writing. I taught acting. I also teach, you know, theater games and improv and uh, stuff like that. So, uh, and we saw the incredible transformative power of the arts with adolescent girls. uh, uh, And along with the woman, Dr. Catherine Adams, who was kind of leading that program, we were like, we have to do more. And mm-hmm. from that experience and from those conversations, a few years later, Lide, Haiti, was born. Lide means both idea and leader in Haitian Creole. And so we um, 
for those who don't know, we uh, work with about 800 girls in about 13 locations doing arts. We swiftly added mm-hmm. literacy. Uh, we added um, mobile computer labs. We do scholarships. Um, we have tutors. We help with uh, testing. We help buy uniforms for schools. And um, and it's it's been really miraculous. We have a huge Haitian staff. This isn't kind of like white people running Haitians and telling them yeah. what to do and how to do it. It's a Haitian staff of 40 and uh, Haitian teachers. And, you know, basically, Drew, I just whore myself out as Dwight in the United States and sell Dwightish kind of T-shirts and whatnot and signatures and voicemails and stuff like that. And I take all that money and I just funnel it to some of the poorest people in rural Haiti. It's all female leadership. So all of it's ninety nine percent women are our group, oh, that's and uh, that's really amazing. So everyone is collaborating to grow the organization. Being in the arts my whole life too, I really love how you. There's just something that happens when people get inspired through the arts. There's just something that happens, and there's this energy that comes out of people. And to see that in these kids that are in these impoverished areas is life changing. It really is. So mm-hmm. amazing. Kudos. Well, thanks. And, and you just hit on something that's that's really important. Um, you know, early on when we were doing this work, uh, we were questioning it. Uh, we were like, you know, these people are starving and we're doing like theater classes and poetry classes. Like, what gives? And this young girl, and it's a true quote, she came up and she said to Holiday, oh, I get it. Other people give us shoes and give us jobs. You give us hope. And I think mm-hmm. that's what the arts does, is it, is, it, is it teaches a young girl, in this case, young women that we work with, you know, it teaches them, like, I'm valuable, I'm worth something, I have a voice, I can sing a song, I can write a poem, I can play a theater game, I can paint a painting, I matter, my opinion matters, and arts are a, mm-hmm. a, are a perfect pathway to that. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing we're realizing in this time, is that, like, the world is, it seems so shitty, but there is entertainment and art that's connecting us and so many artists are using their voices now to you know, mm. bring forth the conversations that matter through oh, art. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's a see? lot of what they would say is you're helping, yeah. this, this is helping me access my power, that what's always there, what's within me, you know? Mm-hmm. What's, your, what's your goal with Lede as you grow? What do you, what, what do you see as your, you continue to impact? Well, listen, we keep, continuing to refine our programs and get better and better at doing what we do. We also have our teachers and staff uh, work a lot with like resilience training and trauma training and using arts to heal trauma because those girls and all Haitians have undergone such trauma. It's it's constant, like whether it's starvation or whether it's sexual abuse or whether it's a hurricane or earthquake. Um, But, you know, we're working with 800 We'd have a bigger impact if we were working with 8,000. We'd have a better impact if we were working with 80,000, <laughs> you know, yeah. or 800,000, you know. So we would love to increase our footprint there. That really just comes down to funding. Part of it is climate change is so intense and hurricanes and floods and the realities of climate change are becoming more and more severe. So part of what we do, we've noticed a marked change in psychosocial support of the girls and impact positive impact in terms of 
disaster preparation and continuing education, even in emergencies, communicating, you know, having a, a plan and a strategy each year for these events that we know mm-hmm. are coming. Um, so we've seen such an improvement and our staff really wishes that LIDE meant, you know, LIDE for all girls in Haiti, that it became mm-hmm. a word that, that meant, you know, em- our empowerment, empowerment on our terms, mm-hmm. you know? I, I think it's, it's cool though, even though you're saying, you know, taking it from hundreds uh, of girls and women that you're affecting, but in reality, that 800 plus is affecting their community, which is affecting their community. So you are reaching so many people and making such a difference in so many lives, which yeah. I think is so important. And that's one of the great powers of girls' education is that when you teach a girl, you know, she teaches a village, you know, she mm-hmm. she spreads it to her sisters and cousins and aunts and, and, and her children and spreads the education. So it also um, is super effective that way. Yeah, I mean, there's literal numbers, one, one woman who learns to read positively affects a hundred people yeah. in her community. So I was just going to ask if you guys could talk about your work in climate awareness. So I got in touch with this organization. I was put in touch with this organization called Arctic Base Camp, and um, they speak science to power. Their whole thing is to educate people about what's happening in the Arctic in climate change. Um, which will hopefully, you know, open people's eyes and affect greater change, both with individuals, but also with businesses um, and NGOs and governmental organizations. So I did a trip with them to uh, Greenland and did a little series for this company that I started called Soul Pancake, this digital media company. And um, it's called An Idiot's Guide to Climate Change. I'm the idiot, and I'm going along through the world kind of trying to figure out you know, what's happening with climate change. And then Holiday and I, we went to Davos to the World Economic Forum. And Davos, I, I don't know if you know or listeners know, it's the fanciest place on the planet. I mean, it's literally where everyone is flying in. Um, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Donald Trump and everyone are flying in on their private jets to this Swiss ski resort town to make giant decisions around economics that affect the whole planet. And it's... Uh, but we were doing it a little differently. We camped out in tents on the snowy front lawn of a hotel because this is one of the things that Arctic Base Camp does is kind of like these installation protests where, mm. you know, there's all of these fancy people in their in their fancy cars and we're, we're literally not showering and staying in tents and then people come by and then we tell them about the science of climate change. But honestly, I was going to say, Soul Pancake, I mean, we absolutely love, I mean, we've been longtime fans and uh, I, I would love to hear a little bit more from your perspective of why that was an initiative you wanted to start and the fact that then you have programs like, like uh, your docuseries that you did uh, going to Greenland. I mean, it's so what we need right now. It's so what the world needs right now. So, some of the, a different take and a different approach on making things understandable and sort of pulling back the curtains. But what was your what was your path to Soul Pancake? So I was talking to some friends about uh, just doing positive stuff on the web. This was you know back again two thousand eight or so, and uh, the internet was just a wasteland of the kind of the worst qualities of humanity, and. So we created a, a, a site, Soul Pancake, where people could come and 
discuss life's big questions and share inspirational stories. And, and then that swiftly pivoted into being more of a media company and, and creating media and video content on our YouTube channel and other social media channels, and also in broadcast television and for commercials and whatnot, where we made uplifting content um, that uh, kind of made the world a better place. And that was the whole mission is like, can we have a for-profit company that is trying to make uplifting content and make the world a better place. But what I feel like, okay, Soul Pancake has had, you know, quite a few video views and we've done a lot of great shows. That's great. But we've also influenced the conversation and that's important. Like, mm. I kind of feel like good people, people trying to do good in the world, you don't, don't have to worry. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to be like Greta Thunberg and literally influence hundreds of millions of people's behaviors. You know, that can happen, that's great, but you don't have to do that to be effective. You, I think mm -hmm. of it like the leaven. You have to be like the little bit of yeast that's in a loaf of bread that helps the bread to rise. Yeah, and I think that's what we love about, you know, the chance to do this podcast. It is finding little ways we can all make a difference at home. Because if we really believe if we can start it at home, then we can start it in the neighborhood, in the community, in the city, in the country, in the world, so... That's and great. starting That's here, fantastic. Uh, along with with the content that you post with Soul Pancake that we really love, we love hearing more about you with your faith and Baha'i. And I think that there's so much positivity that we feel comes from um, what you've shared. Can you tell us a little bit more of about Baha'i and and you know how how you are trying to share that sort of message of positivity and inclusion and love? Yeah, I'd never heard of Baha'i faith until until we met you guys. I was born into a Baha'i family. Uh, a lot of people in the hippie days kind of looked for alternative paths of spirituality, and a lot of people became members of the Baha'i faith in the United States in the, in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, Holiday became a Baha'i. Uh, I was not a Baha'i when we first got together. I had left the Baha'i faith for a long time, and mm -hmm. um, she's been a Baha'i for about uh, 15 years or so. But basically, you know, Baha'is believe in all the world's religions. We believe that, um, uh, that they're all divine and that all of these great divine teachers come from the same source, uh, the Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, Moses, Abraham, you name it, many, many more. And that the newest of these spiritual teachers is a man named Baha'u'llah. He goes by the title of Baha'u'llah, which means the glory of God. And Baha'u'llah lived in Persia in the Middle East in the mid-1800s. And he taught a message of peace and love and unity and uniting all of humanity on the planet, um, seeing all races as you know variegated flowers in one kind of universal garden and working in service, that the, that the highest form of prayer is service to others and that the arts are a form of service to others. So this is kind of what the Baha'i faith believes. So basically everything we've been talking about today, whether it's Lide Haiti or our, our artistic paths or soul pancake or climate change or, or whatever it is or whatever we try and do at home, um, is really inspired by our faith and the Baha'i faith. And it's trying to make the world a better place through love mm. and, um, and through unity. So Rain, when, when you had left, was it like a formal like declaration, like I'm leaving the faith or was it just like, it kind of just, you know, was not a part of your life because you were busy or, or did you decide 
You were not well, going to um, this is in my This story is in the book I wrote called The Bassoon King. It's kind of a, a comedic autobiograph- autobiography. And, um, but yeah, I did like so many young people do, I think, with their religious faith, with which is I didn't want morality to be in my life. I didn't want someone to tell me what was right and wrong or what I could and couldn't do. I just wanted to go be an actor more than anything. I wanted to move to New York City and live an actor's life and um, uh, be a bohemian. And so I left for like 10 years and just pursued my art, you know, acting career. And then I was, and then a long story, very, very short. Um, I, I was unhappy. It was, uh, there was a void in my life. And that's when I came back and started exploring kind of religions and faith. And, uh, and that's eventually came back to the Baha'i faith. In like you're saying too, with Baha'i faith, how it's all these different, um, there's basically, it's, it's almost like there's one divine God. There's one God from yeah. what I've read and understood in the mm-hmm. fact, you know, I was listening to Archbishop Tutu and Dalai Lama and they were talking about the same thing, even though they have different beliefs in reality, they were fully aligned with what they thought. There's, there's that one path of goodness and righteousness and giving to others and supporting others and sharing love and I, I just think it's 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 touching and it's moving, and I think if this whole world could could just share a little bit more of that, we'd be in a, a lot better place. And hopefully, we're moving in that direction. Well, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a world of tremendous divisions right now. You know, mm-hmm. I think I blame a lot of it on social media that has kind of compartmentalized people into viewing the other people as being evil and wrong and bad. I don't ascribe to that, and I think it's a lot of misunderstanding. But we need to heal that division if if we're going to get better. And it's it's division of you know, it's race, it's it's creed, it's belief system, it's it's religious faith, um, it's people of faith and people that don't have faith. But we have to find common bounds of love, that bonds of love rather that that bring us together and just be working towards that mm-hmm. because um, we're going to have a lot of tests as human beings, as seven or eight billion yeah. human beings on this planet over the next century. And we need to be united to to tackle them. Is that um, coming back as well, though? Is that you've talked about um, coping and working through mental health uh, concerns and issues? Is that a part of what helped you on that path, um, finding happiness again and finding that? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've throughout my life I've suffered from anxiety and and depression um, and. Uh, there was a lot of anxiety and depression happening for me in my 20s. And that's that's one of the main kind of precipitors that got me thinking like, wait a second, you know, I jettisoned this whole religious faith, which includes prayer and meditation and service and, you know, a connection to the cosmic consciousness or whatever you want to call it. And that's got me thinking deeper about... Um, Religion, spirituality, my soul, you know, God, does God exist, et cetera. And, and, you know, it hasn't always been perfect and it's there's been a lot of ups and downs and stuff. But generally, I will say that my faith has helped give me focus and clarity and, um, and serenity um, a lot more. So uh, it's, you know, it's nurtured my soul in these last couple decades. Mm-hmm. Now, Holly, what was that you were mentioning to us about the picture, the frame? Oh, yes. 
So will you bring that up? We have this, there's a beautiful piece of writing about the home and what the home represents. And maybe we can read that to you. Rain's going to read it. This is a, from the Baha'i Writings, and it mm -hmm. says, My home is the home of peace. My home is the home of joy and delight. My home is the home of laughter and exaltation. Whosoever enters through the portals of this home must go out with gladsome heart. Whosoever enters here must become illumined. Very nice. That's I like so that. beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's, oh my gosh, that's, so basically, at home podcast is Baha'i podcast. Uh, we're taking over <laughs> your podcast because that is the philosophy of what we've always talked about: is it all starts at home. Whatever cultivates in your home is taken with people and with us outside of the home. And so that's that's really amazing. I love that. I love what you're saying about taking what you've built at home, the love and community and warmth that you build in your personal home, and to bring that out and that extension. Yeah. Uh, is so crucial. That That is the whole point of it. You know, like what is the point of making your physical home beautiful if you can't make your spiritual home and like the world beautiful? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Well, this Goodness. has actually been so much fun. As I said before, I wish we were in person for this conversation, but I know we will be again soon. We will have adventures up into the Rocky Mountains together. Maybe Love we'll it. camp on a lawn in Greenland and who knows what else we're going to, maybe we'll come down to Haiti together. That would be really exciting. That, that would be fantastic. I love it. It's a promise. Yes. Well, we'll let you guys It's a go. double date. Double date There's number double. three. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk okay. to you guys soon. Thanks so Thank much. You so Bye, much guys. guys. Bye. We love you. It's so interesting to me to dig into people's beliefs, how they live their lives, their faith, and to understand what guides them in their life. And the Baha'i faith is so interesting mm -hmm. in the sense that it's, it's basically saying that all religions, it really is the same thing in the sense of the idea of giving to others, supporting others, spreading love, being supportive. Mm -hmm. I, I do subscribe to the belief that there is not that there's just one religion, but like there's just one everything. Like we are really one family. There is one country that is the entire world. Mm -hmm. um, that idea um, of if you look at a garden, we're all different colored flowers mm -hmm. in the same garden. And mm -hmm. I really think that that's a cool analogy for us as the human race. Mm -hmm. And we can go even deeper because because we are all flowers of the same garden, our root systems are all connected. Mm. And, you know, we should be doing what trees do when one tree or like part of the system isn't functioning as well. Like that'll be communicated to like other trees and then mm -hmm. they help deliver the resources needed to help that tree thrive. And I think that's one of the the issues that so many of us uh, face right now is that it's a lack of communication in a way mm. with anybody who is sort of needing that support or anybody who might have a different outlook on life uh, or a different path. And I think if we all understood each other more, it would make us all get along a little more. Because mm -hmm. your mom is Buddhist. And dad. And your dad too. Um, how did that, how was that? for you growing up, going to the temple and and that experience? Uh, I never really 
thought about it. It was just something that we did and they never really forced anything on us. Um, so I never rebelled against it, nor did I like really embrace it. Um, yeah, it was just something that we did. So I went through with the actions, not knowing the meaning really. I think it wasn't until grade 11, I think, when we when I studied world religion that I appreciated religion more because prior to that, even even though I went to a Catholic school, I feel like I was allergic to religion or the thought of religion just because, you know, you see people fight over mm -hmm. different beliefs and that's just stupid. Yeah. Like, why would you fight each other just because you have a different well, when, God or yeah, a different belief? But I, I find what is so sad sometimes is you see that it's, if you read scripture and you see that it's all about love and supporting and then there's so much violence that comes out of it, that just seems wrong. It, it, it's it's very frustrating. I, I remember the same as you though, growing up, like we went to a, a, we were in a Presbyterian church and for me at a very young age, it was like going to parks and rec to go swimming or it was going to church. It was just an activity that I would go and do. And then I started to understand a little bit more of the values. And I think it was great because our uh, at our church, they were just very much about supporting each other and they always loved bringing people in that might have been of a different faith or mm -hmm. they were just, maybe they had no faith, but they were willing to bring people in to have them join just to see what we were doing, mm -hmm. which was great. So I think that for me in my life, I don't get, you know, I it's not going to church every Sunday. That's not the important thing. Mm -hmm. I think the important thing is living a life of values that you know are positive and supportive and helpful of your community and those people who are not in your community. Yeah, yeah. Um, my mind just went to the people who would come to your door to like hand out flyers. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get those growing up? Oh yeah, we had, it was uh, where I lived, it was mainly Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. um, that were going door to door to spread the word and, and whatnot. Yeah, so I always, <laughs> it sounds to me, but I like tried avoiding them, but I would never... I would feel so bad. So I would end up standing there and listening to the stories for like ever, uh, just at the door probably for like half an hour and they would always leave their booklets and I would read it, but it would always be such, um, I always felt like they were trying to instill fear in mm. order to get me to believe a certain thing. Cause the flyers would always say like, um, <laughs> I can picture, but You're I don't know. Yeah, like that. something like that. It's like, well, and that's that's so weird. I didn't have that. I mean, my, our experiences maybe, it was always not positivity. That, like, but yeah. I'm sure that's out there, and I think that that's like, I don't understand that. It's like trying. It's like like dictators that are trying to lead with fear as well. Like, how about inspire positivity and community with people and and show them support? Yeah. Instead of follow me or die. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that. You know, there, there are so many people we have in our lives that are such a great influence for us. And that's why, I mean, it gives you faith in humanity that there are so many great people out there. And I think if, if more of the world led with their hearts um, with love and support and openness, I think there's a difference too. If you have two opposing sides, whether it's um, political beliefs or whether it's religious beliefs or whatever it might be, if you're automatically attacking the other side with what's what's important to you, then all that's going to happen is they're going to put up a defense. How about instead opening up your doors to allow them in to have a conversation? And I mm -hmm. think that is what's going to help solve a lot more problems on this planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how do you think you would approach religion when it comes to raising our kids? 
Um, that's that's a great question. I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously at an extremely young age, they don't have the mental capacity to make well-rounded decisions. And so I think it, for us, though, it's a matter of supplying them with what we know and what we believe. And as long as I think we're creating that safe environment that they're allowed to question what we mm-hmm. what we bring to the table and what we're saying, and then we'll try to help them understand why we think this is important. Hopefully that'll help them make their decisions. It's the same with anything. I would never yeah. want to force our kids into playing an instrument or force them into sports, even though I love sports and I hope they play sports. Um, but Or it's the same, again, with religion, religious beliefs or what career they want to go after. I don't want to force them into anything. I would mm-hmm. love for them to find their own path and hopefully it aligns with what our beliefs are. Yeah, or even if it doesn't, I think... That's their path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think as long as, you know, not just kids, even for ourselves, as long as you question everything mm-hmm. and think for yourself. Yeah. But it's exciting, actually. I'm glad you brought up that about how we would be looking to shape or not shape our kids' lives in the paths that they want to take. I think it's in, instead of shaping, it's a better thought to how can we inspire them to create their own shape? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just, you can only build the environment around them so much and they shape themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a lot of fun chatting with you and with all of you. So I'm not sure where I'm going to look. Which camera? Which camera? Let's go to this one. No, let's go to that one. Anyway, this one. Uh, thank you for joining us at home. Which one are you looking at? I'm going to look oh, over here. Okay. This guy. Hi there. Hi, guys. Uh, but thank you for joining us at home. Uh, this has been a great week. And I want to say a huge thank you to Annalie Bell, our researcher. Brangelino. Brandon Angelino, our, our producer. Producer. Our music, Feels Like Home, is by Chad Carlson and Victoria Shaw. And if you have any questions, you can message us on social. We're at At Home. At At Home. We want to hear all about what you want to hear, what you love to hear. We want your feedback on what we talk about as well. And really important, we want you guys to help spread the word. If you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends. Be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. And this is a direct link to Linda and me that you have. So use it. 310-496-8667. I want you to text. I'm going to look for my phone right now. Good text. Actually, you're on my phone right now. So what are you doing? You I'm me? waving. Bye. Oh, I thought you were trying to tickle me. I'm like, which is stinkier, your foot or my armpit? My feet don't stink. They don't stink. Really? Yeah. Uh, Not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not this very moment. And thank you to you, Lindy. Thank you. Are you going to I'm sleep sliding. now? I'm sliding. No. Hold on, this is it. Just sit, just sit, and goodbye, everyone.